Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a new book of the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, but before we do, guys, look, we have just passed Easter, and like, I know our brains are a little mush right now, and we just got done with some pretty doozy of passages. So I've got to ask a question. In previous podcast episodes. That's right. So I got to ask a question to kind of lighten the mood. What animal would be the cutest if scaled down to the size of a cat? (laughs) Now, I know this is along the lines of my elephant question, but what animal would be the cutest if scaled down to the size of a cat? Ferris, what do you got? I'm just thinking right now that I would love to hear what our listeners have to say about this. So if you have an answer to what animal would be the cutest if scaled down to the size of a cat, you can email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. And we will read your answer on a future podcast. Now for your answer, Eric. This is fun because when we answer, we get to just close our eyes and imagine Imagine this thing. Okay. I'm going to go with an orangutan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that actually is pretty great. That would be amazing. Climbing all over inside your house. (laughs) It's so good. Oh, that's great. That just gave me like warm feelings. Yeah. Okay. Clayton. Uh, Okay. A whale. Like, so could you imagine having like a little whale, like swimming around in like your bathtub or in a tank or whatever and come up and it like blow a little, you know, of, of like, spout and you'd be like ahoy matey you know like (laughs) it's not a pirate but it still feels like you'd say that sort of thing (laughs) there she blows clayton do you have any vineyard vines clothes (laughs) no Uh, okay i'm just wondering if subconsciously you're taking shirt logos and applying it to this question a little whale hold on i'm imagining it you know it's pretty good it's pretty good and if it has like a cute little cartoony smile like a shamu whale or like well i was thinking like a blue whale but like but i any i think any would work yeah that's true any would work okay nikki uh for me mine would be a husky um Just like a, it's like a little, it'd be like, like little, a little, a little wolf, you little know what one. I mean? Like a Siberian husky yeah. dog. Um, but I like actually kind of already. Cat. Don't they come out that small? Like puppies? Like stay, stay puppy, stay, right? Stay puppy. That's right. Stay puppy. I have the closest oh. thing to that though in real life because I have a Pomsky. So it's a Pomeranian husky and his name is Finn and he's probably about 17 pounds. So he's the size of a small, like a larger cat, but I would want one even smaller. I love wow. Finn. So yeah, your answer is small. you want a slightly smaller version of a, a pet you already own. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Because All right. right. It, I just, it, I just love him. Clay and I both have the same thought. Dog. All right. An actual wolf, like one of the two. Like that's what I would want. So, all right. Comma guy. Clayton. All right. So we are starting a new book of the Bible. Um, we uh, typically go back and forth between uh, Old and New Testament books. So we've just finished the book of Luke. We are going to go into the book of Kings. Let me give you some context here. Uh, Kings is another one of those two-parter books. Uh, First and second Kings are really one piece together. You probably should call them Kings part one and part two. Um, and it's really the sequel to the Old Testament book we read uh, you know, a couple months ago, uh, the books of First and Second Samuel. Um, this is continuing the story. In fact, it almost picks up like right where Second uh, Samuel leaves off because uh, we're going to start with David at the end of his life and kind of what happens as he passes things off to his son Solomon, who's going to be king. Um, one of the things you need to know about uh, the books of Kings is that it's answering a really big question. There's like an overarching question that's going on. 
These are books that were written after Israel went into exile. So later on in their history, uh, because of their sin, because of their idolatry, God allows empires to come in and take them over and take them off. They lose their their land, their, their, their city, their temple, everything, and they go into exile. And so the people are there in exile in Babylon asking the question, what went wrong? Like, how did we get here? And it's almost the kind of uh, processing that someone does after uh, a time of loss. They're kind of looking back and saying, all right, let me retrace the steps that got us here. And, and so the entire book, even though individual stories will have different points, it's really, it really helps to ask the overarching question, what, how did this contribute to things going wrong ultimately? We know how the story ends. So even when things are going well, is there something that tells us about the path that they're on? Um, and I think we're going to see some of that in here. Um, if you want to know more about reading uh, the, the book of Kings here, um, the place to go would be biblesavvy.com. We've got some uh, guides and videos to how to do that. It includes uh, links to the NIV study Bible introduction, which is great to read. It's also got the Bible project videos that give an overview of those books of the Bible uh, that I highly recommend. The other thing I'd recommend is checking out the information about the genre of narrative. Because these this is a story. There's lots of episodes of events that happen. And if you don't understand how they work in the Bible, you might get confused about you know, what God is actually trying to say through these things. So go and check that information out. You can find it all at biblesavvy.com. We often have... Bible savvy workshops that you teach on ah. books of the Old Testament. Are you doing we one on this book, one. Clayton? We are doing one. Let me make sure I get the date right here so that I don't send you. Clayton did not thing. know I was going to ask that no, question. He's currently scrolling <laughs> on his phone to see when the date is. Uh, Thursday, April 28th. So we'll have registration open so that when this episode airs, you should be able to register for that. Um, and it's going to be uh, both online and at the St. Charles campus uh, at seven o'clock on April 28th. All right, we're going to have Eric read the passage here. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, and what he did to two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember... You have with you Shimei, son of Gera, and the Benjamite from Baharim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. 
Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. All right, we're going to start with the O in comma, which stands for observation. So we are looking at this passage, uh, we're noticing things, even if there are things that we say, I don't know exactly what this means, but it's striking, it's repetitive, it's uh, something that that uh, gives us a theme here, uh, we're making observations about that. So what do you guys see? Um, the first thing that I saw was, um, it. so David says, uh, deal with, so in verse six, he says, deal with him, Joab, according to your wisdom. And then he talks about this other guy in verse nine. It says, you are a man of wisdom. And Solomon was known for his wisdom. But at this point in the story, he had not asked God for wisdom yet, right? Yeah, it comes, it comes a little later in the story. So yep. it's kind of like, as like a foreshadowing or is maybe this why he asked God for wisdom because he knew he had all of these things uh, ahead of him to make decisions about. Um, I just thought that was interesting, you know. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, an association between kings and wisdom. There's a sense in the ancient world, especially, where they'd say, if you're going to be king, you're going to need wisdom, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if he's stepping into it, David knows he's going to need it, and that's probably why he prayed for it later. Yeah. Verse two sticks out to me. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong. Act like a man and observe what the yeah. Lord your God requires. I love it. <laughs> right. uh, it is, you're about to be the king. And there are certain things that come with being king. And so I, that just sticks out to me as bluntly obvious. I don't know if that's the, the phrase I want to use, but act like a man just seems like a funny phrase to me yeah. in, all, in, this whole, in this whole passage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for those of you who say, oh, that, that feels a little you know, sexist or something like that, it's probably a man rather than a boy as opposed yeah. to uh, a man rather than a woman. So that, right. that's usually important to say. It's like, grow up, like, like put yeah. on your big boy pants and let's step out and do your job. Yeah, you know, that's stop, what you're saying. Stop acting like a kid. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I notice here is that I feel like there's a big contrast between um, that first paragraph of what David says and all the stuff that comes after it. So first David says, I want you to observe the decrees that God has given. I want you to remember this promise of what God said about our family and how he's going to establish the throne and all this good stuff. And then he says, but I got a list of people I want you to take care of. And and it, it's a funny way for David to end. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's uh, we can probably talk about what he's doing with those people here, but it's, it's kind of a strange, like you'd feel like, you know what? If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on follow the Lord's decrees and remember his promise rather than kill off my enemies. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a strange ending to me. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting is uh, that guy there in verse five, Joab, right? That was the guy that killed David's son. Yeah. Joab. Right. Yeah. Joab's got, uh, I think we've talked about him before when we talked about uh, in, uh, some stories in Samuel, Joab was kind of the fixer. Like he, he was the guy. So when uh, he had the affair, mm-hmm. he's the one who had Uriah killed. When Absalom rebels, he's the one who you know does what needs to be done. There are a few other situations like that where Joab is kind of the guy who gets his hands dirty so that David doesn't, or, well, indirectly. Yeah. He's like the hitman. He's the, he's the hitman. And yet, at the, at the end, he kills some people that David didn't want him to, yeah. and so he says he's got to get taken care of himself. Mm-hmm. Another thing that sticks out to me is, I think this is verse, it's still verse two, do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And interestingly, the next phrase, and the Lord may keep his promise to me. 
uh, and then it quotes, if your descendants watch how they live and they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. I'd have to go back and look, but the covenant that God makes with David seems to be an unconditional covenant. Like you are going to have your, you're going to have an everlasting dynasty. But that doesn't necessarily mean that each generation in that dynasty is going to prosper and experience all the blessings of living an obedient life. So there's, but I don't, I don't even know. I'd have to look at the cross references. What is he quoting here? Uh, It's second Samuel seven, I believe. Um, where he, he does it. There, there is a, uh, God gives that promise. We'd have to look more specifically. He I'm gives going there that right promise. now. And then he does say, you know, if they, if they disobey, your, your sons will be disciplined by mm-hmm. me. He talks about that. But it does, it does certainly feel like a, there's nothing that's really going to threaten this. I mean, we know ultimately that nothing really did, but it feels like an unconditional promise mm-hmm. in that. You got it? I'm looking at it right now to see. If I can find that exact, exact word. It is 2 Samuel 7, but I'm trying to find the conditional nature. Yeah, I think. Oh, there it is. I will be a father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. Mm -hmm. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So, David's coaching of Solomon is, hey, walk upright in an obedience before the Lord and it will go well for you and you'll prosper but, based on what yeah. God told him in Second yeah. Samuel 7. Yeah. yeah, okay, I got it now. Yeah, the, the, uh, the conditional part, if you're thinking about the theme of kings, yeah. is it needs to be brought to the fore because, this, okay, it's the glory days, David and Solomon, but the, where the story is going is a whole bunch of people who fail to do that. They, they don't actually keep uh, David's charge here by keeping mm-hmm. the commandments. And they experience, they get removed from Jerusalem and they, they their kingdom gets taken away. Um, and so there's the, there's the, some of the explanation of how that happens is to say, you know, God actually had some expectations here for these kings that he wasn't just going to say, oh, whatever you do, it's going to be fine. Um, even though he had a long-term promise for that family, um, there were still consequences if, if they disobeyed in that way. Yeah. All right, so I, I want to ask the question here. What do you think about these kind of the, the hits that David puts on these people? He's um, ordering hits. You know, <laughs> walk up right before the Lord, and now I'm going to order some hits. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Uh, you know, I, if I'm thinking of this back in the day, right, um, culturally in that cultural context, verse 5, he says, uh, he's talking about Joab and he says, uh, he killed them shedding their blood in peacetime as if it were battle. So obviously there was um, uh, a difference between when it was appropriate to go to war and when it wasn't. And uh, it's almost like he did something unjust because th- there was no one waging war against him at that moment. So it was kind of like you killed somebody just for the sake of killing them. It's murder. It's murder. Yeah, it's murder. You know what I mean? It wasn't self-defense. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it's, so obviously there's a distinction there in, in David's mind that he says that's why he needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I, I wonder why David didn't do something about it. Like that, that's a, mm. it's a, it's a funny thing to say. I'm going to, I'm going to let you do the hard kid? stuff, you know, <laughs> like this really needs to be cleaned up. I just never got around to it. Um, see so yeah. Like the, 
there's there's something that I, I think I think it's just to say if this guy murdered like in the in the Torah in the law it it says if you don't account for the fact that there is murder in your land like if you don't if you like if you let the blood just sort of just cry out to me <laughs> um, this is, is going to be a problem so you've got you've got to bring consequences you've got to restrain you've got to you know bring judgment um, it's just weird that David put it off and said Solomon I want you to take care of it even though David could have had it happen. Mm. What, what about the one though, where the guy insulted him like that? That one feels a little, uh, I, I don't, not that the guy was right to mock David in his time of hardship or, you know, to insult the King. Um, but it, it feels a little different than, Hey, there was a law that was broken, a crime, a punishment that's appropriate happens. Um, it feels a little more, uh, personal, a little more, uh, vindictive to, to me. So verse eight, it says, and remember you have with you Shimei, Shimei, I don't know. Oh God, these are the worst. (laughs) Remember you have this guy, Shimei, who called down bitter curses on me the day, one day. I'm just going to say one day. Uh, So calling down bitter curses. This is the kind of stuff when I'm reading my Bible and you say like, and David says, you'll know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. So what does call down bitter curses mean that it deserves in David's mind to be executed? This is the kind of stuff my brain does when I'm reading the Bible and you have to kind of like find it. Is is there a cross reference? Do the study notes tell you what bring down bitter curses means? Is there anything in there? I don't know. Like, did he just cuss him out? Like, or was it something else? It definitely was a because remember the scene. So we we talked a little bit about the Absalom thing, where Absalom kind of went to war against his dad. Mm-hmm. Well, as David's fleeing the the city, he that this guy is standing there, basically saying, "You're getting what what's coming to you." You know, it's it's a, it's a treasonous kind of thing. It's basically he's saying, "I'm siding with the new regime, and I'm I'm going to insult you mm-hmm. because you're on the way out." And so there's definitely something that's more than just um, personal because it's saying, "I don't want you to be king." And I think you deserve this. Um, so there, there's not, there's there's an edge to it there. Yeah, the cross reference links takes you to Second Samuel 16, where this happens, and it says David is David is traveling, and uh, Shimei curses him as he comes out, pelts David and all the king's officials with stones, curses him, tells him to get out, get out. You murderer, you scoundrel, the Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed on the household of Saul. Uh, yeah, so he is definitely definitely setting himself against David. Yeah. He's, he is vocally and physically throwing mm-hmm. stones at them, setting himself setting himself up as an opponent of David. Yeah, yeah. okay. That makes a little so, more sense. So here's the, here's the part that still makes it amb- kind of ambiguous to me. There, it's a big deal in Samuel that David regularly says of his enemies, I'm not going to take that into my own hands. I'm going to let God take care of Saul. I'm going to let God take care of this guy. I'm going to, you know, he, he explicitly says, I'm going to let, this is in the Lord's hands. It, it feels like a backtracking of that when he says to his son, well, I put it in God's hands. I swore that I wouldn't do this, but I want you, I want you to be the Lord's hands now, you know? So there's, there's something to me that feels like, um, uh, just a little uncomfortable with it. Not like it's totally inappropriate. This wasn't a. This wasn't just a personal vendetta. It was a political, you know, opponent, like a, or a, you know, a treasonous kind of thing. But it also feels like a, a backtracking of what David kind of made an exemplary thing of saying, "I trust the Lord to bring justice in these sorts of situations." 
Well, I haven't read the Book of Kings in quite a while. So when did David did sorry, not did David. Did Solomon do these things? Sure did. He did. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Solomon didn't say, well, my dad got angry in his old age and I'm going to do what's right. Like, he went out and did it. So here's here's one of the things I think we're going to notice as we read the story of Solomon in particular. There are all sorts of things where you are going to ask the question, was this a good thing or a bad thing? Over and over and again. Some of them you'll be able to say, oh, it probably leans a little good. Some of you say, eh, that leans a little bad. But by the time you get to the end, you are going to ask the question, was Solomon good or bad? And it's a definitive Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, and, and we're supposed to feel that way. Because remember, Kings is trying to say, how did it all go wrong? And it's, so it's taking a really clear-eyed look at the story of the one of the greatest kings, the one who built the temple, who is renowned for his wisdom, who did incredible things to put make Israel, a, a, for at least a little blip of history, a, a power in their area. You know what I mean? Like they had some serious you know, sway in the Middle East at that time for, for a generation or so. But even so, during the glory days, the author of Kings is trying to say, yeah, but there was some, you know, things going on that were not right. And so I think this is one of those things where it's just, it's supposed to stir up in you this sort of feeling of, I don't know about this. Um, and, and that's one of the interesting things. The reason I said we should go uh, read about the genre of narrative is that in the, in the Bible, um, there's a difference between prescriptive and descriptive narratives. Descriptive narratives say what happened prescriptive ones say, this is what should happen. The book of Kings is almost always descriptive narrative. You're supposed to say what happened, but you have to do some digging to figure out what was right, what was wrong, what was what you should imitate, what you shouldn't, that sort of thing. All right, let's go on to the first M in comma. And uh, today I think we're going to start with message. So let's see what message you got out of this passage. My message has almost nothing to do with what we've talked about in this entire episode. <laughs> right. That's fine. That's fine. I'm looking at the verses, verse six, verse nine. He's saying, deal with him according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. So these guys have all aged. And then in verse nine, same thing. You're a man of wisdom. You'll know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down in the grave. So these are guys who have gotten older. Verse 10, then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel. When I read those verses, it reminds me that my life too is limited. There will be a day when I also rest with the ancestors. And I don't know why that is what stuck out to me today as we looked at this text, but that is what jumped out to me. Well, it is. It's an end of life story, you know? And so it does ask the question, what, what's the legacy? What are you passing on? You know, what, what comes of it all? Nikki, what's your message? Um, I haven't actually put it into like a little phrase, but when I'm, I keep coming back to verse six and verse nine as well, but with the, the concept of deal with him according to your wisdom or you are a, a man of wisdom. And when I think of what you said earlier, just at the fact that like as a king, you know what I mean, having to make all these hard things, like they needed to be wise. And I think, um, you know, we all need uh, wisdom throughout the course of our life to to live and act and be according to the way that God would have us live and act and be. And so... I, I I almost feel like I have a love for that phrase to be deal with him according to God's wisdom 
or or you are a man, you know, after God's wisdom. It's this, it's this idea of like when he says like walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Um, we, we just we just need we need God's wisdom. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the passage as a whole, and especially having in mind um, David saying, hey, here's God's promise to us. But in light of the whole thing, I think I want to say um, God's people are messy, but God's promises are sure. So this is, this, is, this is messy stuff. Like the actual, like, what does it look like for the son of David to rule on the throne? Comes with some hard decisions about what to do with some, you know, messy people in situations that, you know, we, we can't just ignore it, right? And you got to do something. And how are you going to go about it? Um, and yet, this is part of the process of God fulfilling this promise of saying, David, I'm putting a, a son on, on the throne. And so Solomon's going to take the throne. He's going to do this. He's got to figure it out. There, there is this uh, two two truths going on at the same time, that there there is the messiness of life and the ambiguity of what's right and wrong and the best way to go about it, but also the continual promise of God that says, this is what undergirds it all. Like as the story goes on, the people are going to get worse and the situations are going to get messier. And yet God's promise to say, I'm still going to stick with you. Even at the end of the book, when all is lost, that promise that David just said is still going to be true. Um, he's going to say, I'm going to put a king on the throne. And he has, he has. All right, let's talk about uh, the second M, meditation. Um, I'm going to read uh, verse three here as our uh, passage to meditate on it. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do, wherever you go. 45 seconds. Right, going on to the A in and comma, which is application. So, how are we going to respond and apply these passages? Based on my message, which I did not articulate in one statement, Clayton cleaned it up for me. Thinking about the fact that everyone's life comes to an end, and if you think of your life as just a season, and then the passage we just meditated on about obeying the Lord's decrees, so that we may prosper. You get one life, it's a season, it starts, it ends, and to live the best kind of life, to live a flourishing life, a prospering life that matters for eternity, that impacts other people in a positive way, to live the best kind of life is to walk in obedience to what the Lord has said. And I want my life to count, and I know it's, I'm not here forever. And so my application is today. Today, I want to. I want to walk in obedience to the Lord. Yeah, I mean, mine's pretty much along the same lines. But if I tie it back to just my my message of of the fact that we need God's wisdom, is I think, you know, being in God's word and being obedient to Him 
that's a very wise thing to do. You know what I mean? Um, and so for me, yeah, it's just getting in his word, learning God's wisdom, being open to what his word is saying, and then just acting on it. Yeah, along the same lines. I mean, that 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 command to obey um, is just so clear in this one, to walk walk uh, in, in obedience to God. Um, I actually think that it, it helps when it comes to remembering that God's promises are sure. You know, if God's promises are sure, it actually makes it easier to obey in the messy situations. So you look at a situation and you say, this is this is nuts. I don't I, like. I don't know an easy way out of this without getting my hands dirty. I don't know. I don't know how to go about. Like, if I do what I think might be right, it might not work out. Um, but if I do the thing that might work, uh, it might not be right. You know. And and there are those situations where it's like you just in the abstract, you're like, well, I'll do the right thing. But on the ground, it's complicated and it's hard and it's not easy to just say, well, I'll just obviously do that. And so to remember God's promises, He's got the story written. He knows where this is going. This is not up to you to sort of tidy it all up for him. Um, actually makes it easier for you to say, so I'm going to do what he says. Because if he knows that he's written the story, he's made the promise, then his command is going to lead towards those things. And it will be good for me. It will be good for things. So uh, to obey because God's promise, he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all that we have for you this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. And in the meantime, if you are not following along with the reading plan, you could check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. As you can, as you, you can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you've been listening to. Uh, email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at biblesavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week. That was the cutest meow ever. <laughs> <laughs>